Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Shiny. Uh, I am Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, Stephen Spector is floating around in the ether in the background, and he'll chime in if he needs to. But I wanted to, to kick us off because we have a really interesting guest, Sarjeet Jahal, who um, I ran into at Cloud Expo. Um, and you know, have really been impressed and having some fun interacting with him. So I wanted to bring him onto the show so that we could talk about enterprise and DevOps and state of software, um, sort of get his read on the on the take for the industry right now. So does that sound like a good plan, Sajit? Sounds like a plan. Yep. And if you want, could you give us? You know, I, I, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling your name. Please introduce yourself. Give us some of your background, and then then we can start a nice discussion. Yeah, sure. Hi, hi guys. This is uh, Sarbjeet uh, Jahal. Uh, I have been around uh, the block for a while, about 23, uh, 24 years uh, in uh, enterprise computing industry. I worked with. Uh, PeopleSoft, Oracle, Rackspace, VMware, EMC. Not in that order, though. Uh, you can take a look at my LinkedIn profile and, and, and check the order. So um, that's uh, in brief. Uh, the first about 10, 12 years of my, my career, uh, I was on the software stack. I was writing applications and designing systems uh, towards the end of those, the first 11, 12 years. But for the last about 10, 11 years, I've been doing more like on the sort of operation side of things after I joined EMC and I went to VMware, then to Rackspace and then to Oracle Cloud. Um, so that's, uh, that's in a nutshell. So, and for you, when you say operations, are you, are you thinking more like the uh, data center operations, software operations, or, or corporate operations? Because I know you, you've been involved in some corporate advising and startup type things too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no. In this case, I I uh, I mean uh, data center operations, data center applications, uh, sort of space. Yeah. Okay. And from that perspective, so there's a lot of things that have been been going on from a DevOps perspective. Um, where what do you see happening operationally for data centers? Where where should people be watching? Uh, that's a loaded question, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all, all the good ones are. <laughs> yeah, from the data, uh, from the DevOps point of view, what people should be watching are uh, actually the. I, I, I think the. What's happening lately uh, with the compute side, right? Uh, the miniaturization of compute, I, I call it, right? Going from VM to to container to serverless to the next levels, right? So they have to sort of uh, get prepared to take a look at that, but not jump into it um, as quickly uh, as they can. But they, they should watch that, uh, watch watch those sort of developments. On, uh, I think similar developments will happen on the storage and network. Storage is a, the next best thing, if you will, after the compute sort of development. Uh, developments in, in, we have been witnessing, and then the network will be. It's, it's always the, I think so far in last what seven eight years it has been the last uh, sort of leg, if you will, the, the maturing uh, as as third uh, maturity wise, right? You mean as like network automation and and the network DevOps type type of pieces? 
exactly yeah so uh the the, the network uh, automation the programming of networks and can you take your uh, sort of network topologies from your in-house to the cloud or, or or can you bring it back or can you do multi-cloud sort of uh, uh deployments of the same network uh configs if you will and the policies with that network uh firewalling Oh wow! So so that's and we, we had a we had a conversation with some people from CalSoft. Um, we were talking about VXLAN and creating distributed networking topologies. Is that is that what you're thinking? Like from a, a hybrid perspective, that we're going to be creating multi-cloud networking topologies? Yeah, I think that's the that's the future. Before we get get there, I think just doing the in, in, in hybrid context, even with one cloud provider. That would be a big step forward, right? So from that, we can think about multi-cloud. I think the industry has to evolve that way. When you think about hybrid, what, is, what does that mean for people? It's, I mean, it's a loaded term. I know that you know, people you know, sort of get, get wound up. Is, is hybrid, does hybrid make you angry, or is it, do you, do you, how do you see it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't make me angry actually the whole world is hybrid in all different ways at personal levels and and in in in, in, in you know, technology stack if you will like there's never a sort of theory of one one thing if you will but uh in this case uh, what we started as hybrid definition about uh about 10 years back that still holds i think that that's the combination of uh your on-prem uh infrastructure and the off-prem infrastructure with the cloud provider, right? That's the, that was the first definition. Now, as as other things are coming into the picture, the hybrid definition is is changing. It, it can be, uh, you know, like old stack, new stack within your data center, uh, cloud, non-cloud within your data center, or mul uh, across multiple cloud providers. So it, it's. It's all over the place, actually. The def there's no clear definition of hybrid, uh, I'll say. But, but, the, but actually, what I, I was talking to um, John Furrier and, and those folks at, at the Cube uh, a few days back. We, we were talking offline before the, that interview took place. That I, I think the, the discussion should be around, is it a CapEx-intensive sort of infrastructure or is it OpEx-intensive? Uh, Infrastructure. That's. I think that's more meaningful discussion as compared to is it uh, hybrid on-prem. So I think because they're on-prem, as you know, the on-prem uh, folks like Oracle and HP and IBM guys, they are um, they're giving the similar kind of pricing, opex pricing in your data center for their gear now, right? So. What are you seeing, Rob, uh, in this case? I, I've, I've, I've often thought about that as a, as a, as a thing, right? It, the OpEx-CapEx argument struck me as sort of funny in that if you wanted to rent a server, that really moves it. You, know, you could buy a server and pay for it every month if you wanted. Um, is that, you know, how much of that is really the motivation for, for cloud spend? Uh, no, actually, it's not every month thing, actually. The... the the, I think the unit of uh, billing has to be second or sub-second these days, right? So that is the key, right? So it's, it's not a monthly thing. And also the, the, the problem with bringing in the gear into your data center is that, that there's a, a, 
supply chain management issues, shipping the boxes, the racking, stacking, running the wires, all that stuff goes with it, right? So that's another uh, problem with that. But having said that, in certain kind of workloads, like when, when actually many production uh, ready applications, you, the latency is the key for bigger companies, bigger players. If there are a lot of users using that application, the latency uh, between the applications, the, the, between you know two applications that are changing data, that's very important. And for that, sometimes you need to have that sort of workload in your data center where your legacy applications are sitting. And that, that's why uh, I'm sort of, sort of deviating into Amazon's uh, announcement or outpost, uh, that validates it, that people are looking for that solution. Boy, uh, an outpost is one of those Amazon announcements. If people haven't seen it, I'll ask you to recap it. But it's, it, it's um, I, I'd be interested if you had more data. It's very captivating for people, but it's like um, there's so little that they said about it. It didn't seem like there was, there was anything tangible. Have you seen more tangible information about what Amazon Outpost is? Uh, not not more than what they sort of gave us at the event. Uh, there are about three, four services they will provide. Uh, they basically, it's EC2 uh, in your data center. But I, I think it's like land and expand sort of uh, plan they will execute. They will give you three, four sort of services, uh, a subset of, a very small, tiny subset of AWS in the cloud, in your data center but later they will add more and more. So, so I, we, we, I think it would almost be safe to assume people knew exactly what, what this was or what it was supposed to be. Can you, can you give us the 20 second, what is Outpost? And then I, I have a ton of questions about what you think it is because uh, I'm, I'm super curious. Okay, I do not know all the details like a low level what, what that is, but it, in a nutshell, it's EC2 in your data center. So you get the compute in your data center. That's the main service. And they uh, announced like two, three other. Which would be, which is, would be Azure, like a, an Amazon alt, uh, competitor to Azure Stack, right? Is that, is that a yeah. nutshell for it, you? Exactly, or? exactly. Okay. But, but having said that, I think there are other sort of like little uh, tidbits which, which are important. Like it's their, their gear, it's their boxes, right? It's not, you cannot deploy that on. Dell hardware or or HP or like IBM, right? So they send you the box. That's their box and their hardware. Uh, I I've I've heard some people debating that it, whether it's actually the Amazon custom gear or not. But I, I agree with you. So why? But VMware's stamp footprints fingerprints are all over this. Did what? What do you think their role is? I think they they are. I think Amazon understands, uh, right? As you know, that there's so much legacy trillions of dollars sitting in the data center, right? They want to tap into that, and and they have sort of less kind of boots on the ground. They want to leverage the VMware partnership because VMware is everywhere in in private data centers, almost everywhere, right? So. Uh, it, so the, the the thing that has me scratching my head is if it's really just AWS little AWS pods, they don't need VMware, right? VMware doesn't have that much presence. It, it felt to me when they announced it that they were they were trying to use ESX, 
And this was like a vCenter overlay, which would make a ton of sense to me. Like uh, VMware integrated OpenStack, which is actually, you know, probably a better component for OpenStack deployments than native. Um, but are, are, are you sensing that that's, that VMware is a, a, a important part of this? Or it, sound, it felt to me like you were sort of saying it's not, not that big. I think they want to, they want to leverage the VMware uh, sort of, uh, they, they want to appeal to the folks who use VMware in the data center, right, right now. So one of the, one of the biggest problems is the, with, the, with the cloud is, like there's so many, like the cloud adoption, why it's slow for legacy workloads is that, that there are like the practices built around like change control, change management in the data center, right? And they are, uh, the, their technology is intertwined with the processes, right? And VMware is there in the data centers in those kind of workloads, right? So that's I think that they want to leverage that. I don't know how they will use that for for like sales from the sales side of things. Like they will leverage VMware, or from the from uh, they will do some from more sort of collaboration on technology side. I think it will be less on technology, more on the salesy kind of side. Like hey, let's work together. Uh, your customers and my customer, and my customer is your customer, and we can both work for them. Yeah, I, I, I guess you know when I when I think about enterprise accounts, right? The heterogeneity of the of enterprise is really hard. VMware, I know VMware has to cope with that. Um, if it's just greenfield servers, then they're gonna you know you're gonna have to displace things that are already there, and that might work work fine. Um, I, I, it, it, I didn't feel like there was a lot of lot of meat on the bone in the, in this announcement. It, it's almost like they're they're letting people speculate, and then they're going to learn what people want from the speculation. Um, it, you know, it's uh, which is a, I, that that to me is a brilliant thing. We're going to do here's the, it's our MVP, and then let then listen to what people say um, in the you know sort of very press releasing MVP. Um, yeah, I think you're. I think you're. you're yeah, spot on. I think it's like block blocking tactic. You know, like they will they want to block, uh, and tackle kind of thing, right? So they say, "Hey, we're doing this too. Hold on, we'll, we'll be there," kind of thing, right? I I definitely it definitely feels that way. All so to me, reinvent felt sort of defensive. They were announcing a whole bunch of uh, things that were you know competitive for other service providers. Um, do you have an overall read on reinvent? Yeah, I think the overall read is that when I was actually when I was walking the actually I tweeted about this a couple of times. Like when I was walking the floors of the 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 expo, I was thinking like, hey, how many of these companies will be uh, impacted by the new service uh, announcement? Like how how many of these uh, like mid sort of mid to you can say small to mid uh, sort of startups. Uh, high traction startups will go out of business, or they have to pivot to something else because Amazon announced new things. Um, and at the same time, there are new opportunities. I think new opportunities will arise. Overall, my read is that ply, uh, they they still uh, want to appeal to the creators, right? Not to operators. So if you see all the uh, keynotes, like all the sort of sessions and all that, they were very, very like less focus on the legacy and more on the newness, like going to the next level, right? The machine learning, 
uh, and data science and um, you know satellite as a service, all that stuff for IoT. Uh, but they are talking less about the legacy. They are talking less about the CIO's you know worries, if you will. I guess in, in that way, you're right. There's, there's an interesting dichotomy because Outpost is all about legacy workload or getting into Enterprise Data Center. A lot of the new things that they announced at Amazon were like, it's all cloud, 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 and right, it's using the cloud better. Um, how do, you know, do you think that, you know, Enterprise Data Center, Enterprise Data Centers are dead and it's just a matter of time? I doubt that. I think there will be a long, they will be there for a long time to come. Uh, but they will be shrinking, having said that, I think they, they will be shrinking uh, at a gradual pace unless and until there's a sort of big sort of shift happens like much better processes or much better sort of business model uh, implemented by the old guard, if you will. They are actually doing it right now. They're giving you the pricing uh, on per hour or per minute basis. Uh, uh, in your data center with their, their gear, the old guard technology providers, if you will, right? So if they can mature their technology, they, if it's like 80% there <laughs> as compared to Amazon's uh, sort of innovation pace, I think people will hop onto it. People will, uh, it will prolong the life of the private data center. So I, Amazon's innovating in that they're adding a lot of services, I, but it, it feels to me like a long tail sometimes. Like they're innovating in places where, you know, it, most people don't pick up these new services. Um, they're not. They're not sort of hitting the core utility, right? What? What is? What? How does somebody? And maybe you alluded to this with with the beginning when we talked about serverless. But how does how does somebody make a mag, a material impact on their enterprise business? Because you know, automatic data lakes isn't isn't necessarily it. Um, or satellite as a service, or AR, you know, VR uh, race cars. Um, you know, what what changes the the ROI for somebody in 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 their enterprise yeah, business? I, I think uh, they we, we I, they don't publish the data like which which service is bringing how much revenue and uh, how much usage is of which service, if you will. I I, I will doubt if the if the twenty percent of the services are bringing eighty percent of the revenue. I, 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 more uh, like bringing less than eighty percent of the revenue. I think I think it's like that. So there are core services they are bringing most of the revenue, but all the other um, sort of long tail, what do you call it, that is creating a kind of intention, uh, showing the intention actually to the market that we are forward thinkers and stay with us. We will give you the best uh, of the breed technology. As compared to our competitors, I think that's their plan, and and some like you know like the the very new startups will hop onto the very new technology. Um, if you have a little more legacy, a little more um, uh, you know technical debt, if you will, then you will will go like back and back and go to the core services, if you will. Well, and that's but but at, you know enterprise and even startups, right? Startups are new, so they 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 can pick up a whole bunch of things. But once you've got your tech running, you can't just keep pivoting. You've you've got to you've got to sustain and maintain and and extend. So, uh, you, do you know, do you have a you know how do, how do you recommend enterprises look at that problem? And yeah, so actually, 
the technology consumption in big enterprises, the, the new NAS, like how you bring that new technology into the fold, that, that's very tricky for seasoned, well-established enterprises. Um, this is what we, we talked about during the interviews. Like I, I actually usually talk about this a lot. I think it's the age of micro-consumption. Means like you you cannot bring monolithic sort of stuff in and say okay we're gonna do this. So bring bring in the uh, change in micro chunks, give it to you, smaller teams, uh, play with it, and then uh, as you learn how to work with uh, newer services, a newer way of doing things, uh, as you get familiar with the SLAs of different services, um, then then you sort of uh, fold that into your product mesh, if you will. So there, there's no, you can't really. So, so you, you just defined something that, that, that I would consider the hallmark of the cloud age. Um, and you're, you're saying embrace it, which, which to me says, accept the fact that you're not creating an, a monolithic IT culture. And that in that, that um, approach, you're saying, look, you want your teams to be experimenting. You want to be able to say that, you know, new teams are trying new things. Line of, it's okay to let line of business go forward on something because otherwise you're, you're, everybody has to march, right? This is, this to me is the nineties IT, um, <laughs> is that everybody was forced to march into the, with all the same stuff. So innovation was slow. You're saying uneven, oh, yeah. uneven adoption is okay. I think that's the only way uh, that's the only way uh, because you already have a lot of legacy. Yeah, you, uh, I actually I like Gardner's uh, demarcation of, demarcation of uh, systems. They divide the systems into three tiers. Like there are other other sort of uh, people, they have done it too. So the systems of record, system of differentiation, and systems of innovation they call it. And the middle tier is sometimes called system of systems of engagement. So systems of record, uh, they are very old and legacy systems, and everybody has a similar system, and it's not a differentiator from one company to another, if you will, right? And I think in the middle, that's the that's where there's a lot of homegrown applications are there, along with some you know provided by uh, the technology providers or software providers, if you will. That's the like DRMs and marketing applications and so forth, right? And the third third one is the where the most of the cloud public cloud consumption has happened, and it will happen that way, I think. That is the systems of innovation. That's IoT. That's mobile, social, less social in the enterprise, but it's mobile IoT uh, and that, like data science kind of uh, projects now. But but aren't we setting up for like three years from now where somebody's got a Lambda application that's now a system of record and you're like, ah, I've got to maintain this whole busted pre-layers Lambda thing and it's got all this technical debt. I mean, aren't, aren't, it's, it's, what you're describing is to me a matter of time. It's, it's, not, it's not that the cloud stuff is going to automatically be innovative all the time. It's, it's going to become system of record eventually, right? Yes and no, because, okay, these things evolve. I would love. I would love for the answer to be no. This doesn't become a trap. Like, how, how do we? How do we avoid it? Do, like, I don't think it will happen in the next twenty years, if you will, because that I've, that's kind of almost never in, in technology sort of space. Twenty years is a long time. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, I, I deal with Pixie Boot and Legacy Pios. Twenty-year-old technologies are pretty normal for me, unfortunately. Actually, I need to publish this thing. Um, I call this SJ's theory of cloud consumption. I think most of the most of the um, the systems of record will be moved to the SaaS. They will convert into SaaS, right? The people will decommission it and go to SaaS, uh, and then most. Be, because because it's a standard pattern, you're saying that it can be absorbed into into exactly. a into a into an entity. Yeah. Okay, and that's I a reasonable assumption. Systems of engagement or systems of uh, differentiation. Uh, there there are two names for it. That middle tier. I think there will be a lot of consumption of infrastructure as a service in that tier, and and also considerable amount of uh, platform as a service will be consumed in that that sort of uh, bucket, if you will. And the third tier is where. I think mostly infrastructure as a service will be consumed because that's that's why there are systems of systems of innovation. You don't want to lock yourself into somebody's API. You don't want to lock yourself into some constraint, and and that's where the developers actually developers don't like vendor locking at all. They 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 want to be free. They yeah, it's operators uh, who like that a little bit more. <laughs> So, but uh, so this to me is one of those interesting places because you get something like Lambda where developers are very productive; they're not worrying about infrastructure, um, you know. And and so even if I was dealing with a system of record, Lambda could be a very interesting capability, but it's just not available to me on premises. Um, do we fix that problem just by creating better hybrid options? Is that one of the places where hybridization is a powerful answer, where I can you know take advantage of a cloud service there if it's connected? Yeah, I think hybrid is no question about that. Hybrid is here right now. It will stay here, like here for a long time to come, right? Uh, but I, I, having said that, I think I think the lambda will come to your private data center uh, pretty soon. You know, so it, it's just a matter of time. Not lambda. Not, not lambda. Not is lambda. There, we we haven't we haven't talked we haven't we haven't <laughs> mentioned the word Kubernetes yeah. uh, amazingly, um, and 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 so is there an open source project or projects that you're you're tracking that you think you know because no, there I haven't seen a good serverless story emerge for on premises. I know somebody's probably shouting at the microphone, and if you are, call us up, tweet us. We want to put you on. We'd love to hear about it. Um, but is you know are you tracking open source pieces that help or or vendor pieces that help solve these problems and, and make actually them I more start accessible? tracking something when it gets traction. I don't track the stuff which is not getting traction right now. So I think the like, <laughs> uh, so uh, the because there's so much coming down the pike, right? You can't you don't get time to all, analyze all that stuff. But I think the Kubernetes is 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 has gained a lot of ground. But I. One thing I'm, I'm, I think we talked about that last time we, we spoke over the phone a little bit, that I'm a little afraid about the Kubernetes because I don't want it to go to through the same fate what OpenStack did, uh, where it was a vendor, vendors hijacked it and, and started sending their own distros. Uh, it's happening right now, actually. There was a, recently I read a blog about it that, that when companies are, some companies are pub pushing their applications, right? They want they are containerized, and they then they send their uh, sort of container uh, distro, actually container management distro, if you will, or Kubernetes distro with it, which can get out of sync with, you know, 
the core Kubernetes uh, uh, trunk, if you will. That's a huge problem. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this and talking to some, some vendors about it, right? You might have six Kubernetes clusters on your, in your enterprise with different version requirements based on the vendors that are, you're deploying on top of those Kubernetes clusters. Yeah. It's, it's, it that's be, actually a mess. It can be messy. It can get messy pr pretty quickly, actually. And then we recently saw some couple of flaws in it on the security side also. So like, how do you patch uh, the, the, that stuff? Like, if you have six flavors of it. Yeah. Well, it's, and that's so if people don't, aren't aware, Kubernetes had a major security flaw that is patched. If you haven't patched your Kubernetes cluster, <laughs> stop listening to the podcast, go patch right now. And if you don't know how to patch your Kubernetes cluster, oh my goodness, go fix that problem <laughs> after you patch. <laughs> uh, we can't, we can't have, we, yeah. and now we're back to DevOps, right? If you're deploying software and you don't know how to upgrade it before you've, you've, you've signed off on the installation, we, you know, once again, we're back to one-on-one stuff, but you so got it. It's hard. That's not easy. Why don't you shed some light? Because you, you, I have been seeing your work from the Dell days, like the crowbar. Uh, I was like fascinated with your work at that, that point, like when we were just uh, open sourcing the, the open stack. I was at Rackspace at that time. And the, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the Rackspace days for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, so part of the fun for me is, you know, this is, um, you know, I'm pulling you, I'm pulling you through things that I'm interested in that are part of our stuff. Um, and I'm going to call time in just a second and not answer your question very completely. Um, I, I do, I do think that the, the questions that we've been talking through are critical ones for people to consider for cloud. Um, that, that Amazon's, you know, Amazon's doing an amazing job training the market. And I like that. I think that's really good. I don't think that the things that Amazon has trained us to do well are necessarily Amazon specific. And so what I, what I hope, and, and your, your, this conversation to me gives me, gives me a degree of hope. There's some, I had some concerns too, <laughs> as from an industry perspective, but that we have improved um, overall in how we're deploying these technologies, right? We're not going to jump everything to serverless and rewrite all of our applications. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, you, these are, these are your, right, these are themes from our last, uh, in the last 30 minutes. Um, and so it's, it's, this, this isn't done. Um, and maybe that's my biggest, my biggest takeaway is we're still trying to figure this out. There's no, Amazon's not a silver bullet in solving these problems. There's a lot of, a lot of work to be, to be, there's more work in front of us than behind Actually, us. Yeah, I was thinking about before the, before uh, hopping onto to this call that like, I actually like an, analogies, right? So I was thinking like we in technology have this class system, right? Like we have in economic, you know, terms like we have class system, very rich people, and then middle uh, sort of uh, mid-income people, <laughs> whatever you call that, and then the, then the poverty, there's poverty there, right, uh, down there. So uh, in technology, it's a similar stuff happening, actually. The, the, the bigger vendors, the bigger consumers, if you will, of the cloud can hop onto the latest technology, and also the, the what I call the mega, uh, ecosystems, right? Uh, these, this is Amazon here, Google there, Microsoft, and IBM is trying there to be that one mega sort of uh, 
platform, if you will. The mega platforms are growing, so leaving less room for others to 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 penetrate. And also at the at the lower level, the consumer level, the the GM, Ford, you take it any vertical in auto and banking, the some are running fast, and and then all the smaller guys are le getting left behind. So the so that sort of uh, the what do you call it? The, you know, in in technology equality is not happening. Like in in income inequality, we talk about. So that we are the, the the gap between people who are who are very good at technology and who are not is is widening because so much is thrown at us so fast. That's my what my observation is. I I am I know I, I think I think that that's a very uh, prescient statement, and I I do have concerns that we haven't been structuring things in a way that creates innovation, um, and so while I think you know these mega cloud providers are amazing and doing some amazing work, it it troubles me to think that every you know, the new technology is going to be surfaced out of Amazon and then. From an open source perspective, I'm watching Amazon sort of suck up open source projects, and not just Amazon, but other companies. They become a SaaS, and then, um, and we've, we've done a whole bunch of shows on open source, so people should go back and listen to our open source pieces about this. But if, if, if that's, you know, innovation is going to come out of small companies, and if small companies have to be open source to get adoption, then it, we're going to have trouble rewarding people. Um, and you're right. At, at some point, the, these monoliths, these, these huge companies, are not going to keep innovating at this pace. It's not a commercial incentive. Um, so, and on that point, <laughs> uh, we do need to wrap it up. So, um, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, where, I'm very active go? on Twitter, Sarbji Jahal, uh, right, Sarbji Jahal, like Twitter handle. Uh, on LinkedIn, people can con contact me on LinkedIn also. So, yep, that's direction you're, and your your twitter is awesome because you are pithy and and then you, you 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 do a really good job pulling in a dialogue around that that pithy statement so people should should definitely jump in um and be part of that that uh conversation and i have to you're you're one of the people who drives conversations on twitter really really well and so Thanks, i thank Robert. you for that. it was great That's talking great. to you and keep doing the great work and uh, good luck with uh, your endeavor you're undertaking right now Thanks. Appreciate it. That's good talking with you. Good discussion.